Welcome to the Move Podcast, our very first Move show of 2024. We may be a little bit rusty. <laughs> it's been a little bit, a little bit of absence from it, but uh, we're happy to be back. And this show, you've got to stick around and listen to the show because I think we're going to spend a, a big chunk of time talking about one particular writer, 20 years old, who may be the greatest talent we've seen in a couple of years, right? It wasn't that long ago. We were like, who are these new young stars? This show in particular, we're going to share a name with you that we've not talked about before. And we're going to talk about a lot today. Before we get into that with Johan and Spencer, uh, I just want to tell you about a couple of our partners. Now, if you um, are like me, where it's unseasonably cold, it becomes a savior to ride indoors. And uh, we're uh, so fortunate to have a partnership with Zwift. We have our club rides. We have We Do Wednesday and Suffer Sunday every week. And it's really fun. Uh, we Do Wednesday. They call it a casual club ride. I'll be honest with you. I struggle to stay in it. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And, I, and I've been improving through the winter uh, just by doing it more and more. And it's a great alternative to riding outdoors. If you don't have the equipment you need, to ride indoors with a smart trainer, you should check out the Zwift smart trainer, the Zwift hub. Uh, it's only $5.99 and you can uh, just get the pre-installed cassette of your choice. And you will also get a one year of, of Zwift uh, with that purchase. So head on over to Zwift.com, grab your Zwift hub. And don't forget this code for the free shipping, Zwift hub, Z-W-I-F-T-H-U-B, all one word, and get free shipping. Uh, next, uh, one of our other newer partners is Bicycle. I'm going to spell it out for you. So when you type it in, you're going to the right place. It's B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E. And this is such a great service, whether you're buying or selling a bike, uh, go out in your garage and look around. There's probably one or two bikes that you haven't touched in a while. Maybe you should sell it and put it towards the purchase of something uh, uh, that you that you want on bicycle. Uh, it's really incredible the service they set up. There's over uh, 20,000 in inventory, over 30 countries, and it may make it incredibly simple to sell your bike to them. Uh, they'll send you the the uh, everything you need for shipping. You know, no going down to your local bike shop and digging around in the dumpster for a bike box. They'll send you everything you need and get you uh, uh, get you all set up to sell your bike. So sell your bikes on Bicycle, B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E. Enter this code, jot this down, we do 24 W-E-D-U-24, and that will remove the seller fee uh, when you want to sell your bike. It's B-U-Y-C-Y-C-L-E.com. All right, guys, we're going to start with this. Uh, and again, we're going to get into this new talent that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. Incredible talent, rising star. But first, let's let's. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm joined by Johan Bernil and Spencer Martin, and they're going to break down this year's tour, uh, tour down under first big race of the season, first world tour race of the season. Let's start with you, Spencer, and let's go through some of the stages quickly, and then we'll go deep on some details. Yeah, thanks, JB. Well, this will be quick because I will say this was maybe not my favorite route of the Tour Down Under. The first four stages um, probably just could have been penciled in as sprint stages. The big takeaway from the sprints, Sam Wellsford wins stage one, three, four, all bunch sprints. Bora, un his Bora team, he's on Bora now, went over from DSM in the offseason. Bora, unbelievably strong. Danny Van Poppel is the outrider. Johan teased in the uh, pre-show that he's now the best undisputed best lead out rider in the world. I would tend to agree. So we don't really need to go deep on those other than San Wellsford, massive rider, like 80 kilos riding a 56 tooth chain ring, just absolutely like you could see the power oozing off of him, riding people off of his wheel. The only thing that disturbed that was stage two, Isaac Del Toro, the new signing, I believe he's 20 years old, um, first year professional, first professional race, second race he's ever done at the professional level, attacks off a full lead out from Israel Premier Tech, steals stage two, just absolutely, it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe the amount of power he must have been putting off. You could just see it through the screen. And then the weekend came around, we had stage five and six, two a little bit more interesting stages. Stage five finished up Wollonga Hill. Uh, that's the famous summit summit finish they have at the tour down under. Um, I believe it's in here every year. Oscar Onley from DSM won that. You might be asking who, who's that? He's 21 years old on DSM, his first professional win as well. 
Um, Stephen Williams from uh, he is on Israel Premier Tech this year. Did a really good job of finishing second. Big takeaways from that is Jayco kind of imploded on the climb. Maybe blew up Simon Yates. Simon Yates just really not strong enough to to stay in the front group. So he loses time, kind of falls out of the GC. Next stage, stage six, and also Julian Alphilippe was up there on stage five. Isaac Del Toro also finishes up towards the front. So those were two names that I thought I'd call out. Stage six, finish on Mount Lofty. Another one of these South Australian, you know, fast, fast, fast summit finishes. Like they are climbs, but they're they're not ridden at the same pace as a European climb. These guys are flying up these things because they're short enough, shallow enough for them to almost turn them into reduced bunch sprints. And that's exactly what Stephen Williams did. Isaac Del Toro did a great job to attack to try to get back into the GC lead. Stephen Williams was right on his wheel and then kind of expertly finished off the win to seal the overall. Um, Oscar Onley, who won the day before, was distanced, fell out of the top three. So it was Stephen Williams, Jonathan Navarras, and Isaac Del Toro on the podium. We'll talk a little bit about Navarras from, he's on Ineos. He won a stage at the Giro a few years ago. I was kind of unaware that he was such a good, he, he was a really good sprinter in the opening, both criterium and then throughout this race, good sprinter, good climber. I, I'm curious to ask you guys why you think he hasn't shown more in bigger races, but you know, the, the tour down under is a funny balance between, you know, we say like Simon Yates wasn't up to snuff Jayco bad race, but there's a balance where you don't want to be too good. Cause we are so early in the season, you know, riders who win here actually don't tend to win that much the rest of the year. So there's an inverse correlation between really being fit here and being fit six months later in the meat of the season. So you have to walk a fine line. And so it's hard to pull out. You don't want to extrapolate too much from this, but there are some little hints you can pull out like uh, Isaac Del Toro obviously looked amazing. I think great things to come. And then um, Johan pulled out another one, Bart Lemon on, on team Visma. I guess it's Visma Lisa bike this year, 28 year old rider, but only in his second year as a full-time pro um, doing incredibly well. I believe he got fifth and fourth in the last two summit finishes. So you, you can extrapolate some things out from here, but you, you don't want to get locked into too many um, declarative statements like Sam Wellsford's the best sprinter in the world. And like, let's just start right there, Johan. Like, what should we read into this, these sprint performances from both him and Bora? Well, as you said, Spence, by the way, you know, I think we should, we, we can finish the podcast because you basically said everything I want to say already, but <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got more, we've got more in store for you. Uh, no, it's, it's like you said, Spencer, you know, two down under it's the first world to first world to race. Uh, but you know, in the big scheme of, uh, on the agenda of all the big teams, it is not a big thing. Uh, it's, I would say, I would actually say, you know, if they would let the freedom for the, 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 the teams to decide, they wouldn't go to the tour down under because, uh, yes, it's an important race. Um, but you know, all the logistical hassle that comes with it, is, is a nightmare for teams. Uh, you know, you have to, you know, most of these, most of the teams that are actually going to the, the, the riders that go to two down under are not able to attend the first train, the, the, the early training camp of the team. Uh, you have to go there, you know, at least 10 days on beforehand to adjust to the, the time difference to the heat. Um, and then on the way back, you have the same, the same problem. So, um, it's uh it's a race where uh, i would say a lot of teams and a lot of riders go there to basically get the engine going and you know it's not such a big deal the the you know it's, it's you can see from from my experience from when i was there you know it's all the teams are in the same hotel it's a very relaxed atmosphere fun you know guys are joking it's there's no stress uh it's not a high tension race uh now you know, if, if you know that on beforehand, you can clearly see that there are some riders and some teams who take advantage of that, which is very smart. You know, in, in the case of, of, uh, Israel premier tech, for example, um, you know, Steve Williams, um, good rider, but you know, he's until now, he has never shown that he was like at the level to win a big world tour race. You know, he was on, I think he was on Bahrain before, before this year. Uh, a few years and uh, he won a stage in the tour of Switzerland one time. Other than that, you know, he's a very, he's a good rider, but he's never performed 
at this level. Like, and, and, and if you see, you know, he, he was up there, takes the Jersey and then with the leader's Jersey wins the last stage. That's, that's being dominant. That's like, okay, this is my race and nobody's going to take this away from me. And so uh, we have never seen that. So it's clear that both him and the rest of his team have preferred two down under very, very specifically and targeted this race to, to win. Um, and then, you know, uh, obviously Sam Wellsford, the same thing. He's, you know, we, you could say he's the best sprinter, right? He's not, uh, he's a, he's a good sprinter, but you know, first of all, the best sprinters were not here. And then on top of that, I, I would want to bet money that on the fact that he has prepared specifically for this race, being an Australian, having spent the whole winter in Australia. And on top of that, the race passed through his home region on top of that was his birthday. So, you know, this was a goal for him and, and, you know, he did really well. I mean, winning three stages, three world tour stage stages, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of riders who will not get to that number at the end of the season. So, um, you know, the guys who really target this race, I would say, you know, well done. Uh, but as you say, we cannot take any conclusions, uh, out of, out of the, the results of this race. Yeah. Even when we talk about Sam Wellsford being so dominant, you look at two of the other sprinters who are right up there who used to be dominant, Caleb Ewan, who still has question marks. Right. And then, uh, uh gear may who looks mm -hmm. to be on the comeback trail from, from injury. But I think, I think you're one of those are on top form, right? Well, I mean, get my, uh, I think it's good to see him back there. He struggled last year. I mean, he had, you know, he was struggling at the beginning of the year. Then he had a few crashes. Uh, obviously, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him because he had such an amazing season in 2022. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's good to see him back. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a, the case of, uh, of Caleb Ewan. Um, it's a bit of an unknown. Um, there was, um, there were some rumors before the, before the tour down under that he was sick, you know, they didn't, they didn't start him in the criterium, which, you know, is ideal for him. Uh, it, it's an ideal race. So they didn't start him there. So obviously he was, he was not feeling well. So we don't know if that had an impact on his performances, but I think it's safe to say that Jake Walula were expecting uh, a lot more from the whole race, but also a lot more from, from Caleb Ewan and, um, you know, he has not been ever and in any stage, he had not even come close to winning. You know, he was trying to find his position. And then the one time he kind of had his position, he wasn't fast enough. So, um, comes off a difficult season, you know, after all his problems with, with Lotto destiny. So we, I think we should still give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but it's, I think for Caleb, you in uh, the same situation is, is like for a lot of other guys, you know, it, you know, on the one hand, they're still young, 27, 28, 29, but at the same time, these young guys keep coming from everywhere. And, uh, before you know it, you're, you're an old guy and you, you're not in the game anymore. So, you know, hopefully for, for Caleb, you, and this is not the case, but it's not a good start for him. Yeah. And I, from Biniam Germay, like I saw exactly what I wanted to see from him. You know, I think it's, these are a, we should just mention, these are not good stages for, for a guy like him. Like, let's just look at stage four. He gets second behind Wellsford, the only rider not to get dropped when Wellsford was sprinting. That's how hard Wellsford was going, but it was two hours and 59 minutes. Not that's a lot of climbing. Like that's course, not where Germay yeah. shines. That's actually where someone like Sam Wellsford, a former tracky big guy, 80 kilos, pushing a massive gear. All these finishes were kind of uphill. So it was just like tailor made for Wellsford. I, I saw what I needed from Gramai. Great, like great progress from him. I think he's going to be back to his best in 2024. The Ewan stuff, it, you know, and I just said, we don't want to make declarative statements based on this race. I, that was a little concerning to me, like stage three on the, on the hoods, you know, on the hoods in the saddle, in the sprint, you know, that tells me that he just doesn't feel confident that he can find the positioning he needs he's he's been suffering from this for two years at this point last year is at this race if you remember with the uni sa it's like the university of south australia team so you'd, you'd excuse him for not being in position like well he doesn't have his normal team he's with you know guys he doesn't normally ride with he's here with jaco who in theory should have the ability to position him and he just was out of position almost every almost every day like that's concerning to me and you know maybe he'll have a great comeback later in the year but 
you know, that, that was something that I noticed that probably my biggest takeaway um, from, from these sprint stages, was just him not being able to even be in position to contest the sprints. Yeah. And another thing, I mean, now that we're talking about uh, Caleb Ewan, you know, the whole team, Jacob Alula, uh, big disappointment. Um, I think the, the biggest disappointment of the race, you know, I, uh, I saw an interview of uh, Luke Plapp, uh, who, you know, by the way, crashed on, on stage three, had to abandon. And, you know, with him, it would probably have been a different story uh, because he was their guy. He was the strong guy. You know, he was super dominant in the Australian championships. Obviously, you know, looking at his statements and his interviews, he was, you know, his morale was sky high. But, you know, he said, well, basically, we're here to, to win every stage and the whole thing. And, you know, finally they go home with no victories and, and uh, their first guy, Simon Yates is the seventh. So that's obviously not a good result for Jake Walula in their, in their home race. So um, I think that they're going to be disappointed, you know, in their favor, of course, uh, they have had the, the, the bad luck with Luke Plapp, but obviously not, not a good start for them. Should Before we? we move too far away from talking about the sprinting, uh, you got to add to it the, the lead out that Wellsford had was pretty yeah. interesting yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah Danny Van Poppel has become, you know, uh, has become, I think, you know, he, he uh, last year he, he, he did it with, um, who was it, with uh, the Irish guy, um, forget Sam his name. Bennett. Sam Bennett, yeah. Sam Bennett, you know, Sam Bennett was not in, in, in the best shape, uh, um, but you know, he has become, in my opinion, the best, he's like a Morkov or I mean, I think he's better than Morkov. He's faster. Um, and you know, once he get, once he gets a free, a free line, uh, there's no stopping him. Um, you know, sometimes uh, there will be stages that because Van Poppel, you know, once he get that, gets that come, there will be stages where his sprinter won't be able to come around him. I, I, that's a prediction I'm making for this year. He'll get a win yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> as a lead out. I, yeah, I think he had a funny quote. It wasn't, it was, kind of wasn't that funny, but after the first stage, he was like, yeah, it's like nice to be sprinting for, or leading out like a good sprinter. Finally, like, oh my God, like don't, uh, <laughs> don't ever leave Bora. They'll, they'll roast you in the press, but <laughs> Johan, do you think, I agree, Van Poppel, the best lead out rider in the world is, well, he has, he has a great DNA, you know, I mean, his, his, his father, Jean-Paul Van Poppel was, you know, in the late eighties, beginning nineties, he was the fastest sprinter in the world too. You know, won a lot of Tour de France stages, and uh, so so you know he has that going for him. And his brother beat beat Mark Cavendish at a Tour of Missouri stage that I was at, and I was like, oh wow, this guy's going to be the next great sprinter. And then I think that's maybe the last race that he won. Yeah, well, you but see, DNA doesn't always work for both. You know, that's <laughs> not fair. I mean, you have the same with with Matthew van der Poel and his brother. You know, one yeah. guy's a superstar, and the other guy is okay. You know. So, I mean, but just to have a career as a pro, though, is, is pretty impressive. But is Wellsford their best sprinter? Uh, uh, is he the best sprinter on that team? I mean, it's kind of funny because Jordy, Jordy Meus, is that mm -hmm. how you'd say his name? Like, he's the one, he's the Tour de France winning sprinter, Tour de France stage winning sprinter yeah. on that team. Like, what are they going to do later in the, in the real European summer? Well, I don't think this is, they're not the same kind of sprinters. I think Jordy Meus is, you know, he's super tall you know, difficult to lead him out because, you know, he's it, the drafting is not going to be tremendous for him. So he kind of has to, you know, go off other wheels, but, um, they're two different types of sprinters. In my opinion, uh, Jordi Mills is strong. Like, you know, when, when the race has been hard and when, when it, it's probably when it's a slower sprint that yeah. he's, in my opinion, Wellsford is a pure sprinter. He's like a, you know, ball of fire, you know, I've actually spent, this won't surprise you guys the last two weeks going back through every grand tour stage of the last few years. And something I've noticed, we are is, not surprised. We are not surprised. <laughs> Sprinters are, they're, sh they're shrinking. Like it's fashionable in Australia. If you're out in Melbourne on a group ride, you'd say, you know, Wellsford's the best Australian sprinter. He's better, better than Caden Groves, but you get to these grand tours and the sprinters are much smaller. Like Jasper Phillips, been not a big, big guy, but he's not winning because he's faster or more powerful. He's winning because he's less tired and less fatigued because these stages are so hard by the time he gets to the sprint, he can be faster because he's just a fitter, more complete rider. It kind of makes me wonder about this. Like we're almost seeing a bifurcation of these really powerful guys. And then they go to the tour and they're not, not able to, or not, or even the Volta or the Giro, they're different, not able to really replicate different that games, success. different, different yeah. games, Spencer, different game. Let's let's, you know, we come back to the same, let's not compare the tour down under where the stages are, 
120, 130, 140K, not super hard. Uh, and, you know, probably, you know, the 80% of the peloton is not there super focused, which is completely different in the, in the big races in Europe. Can we unpack Luke Plapp's statement for a second? I mean, I, I think he probably wins this race overall if he doesn't crash. He was well, absolutely flying. But his team won two two races this weekend. They just were on a different continent. They were in Europe with Dylan Gronewegen and Michael Matthews winning uh, Spanish races on Saturday and Sunday. They didn't, I would say they did not send their best team to this race. Is is a strategic I, by them or? No, I, I think they did. I think that, you know, they, okay, obviously... I think their, their big focus was to win the tour down under. So if you want to win the tour down under, you're not going to focus on the sprinters. That's why they put Caleb Ewan, who's, you know, uh, who's, you know, not their best sprinter for the moment, to be fair. Um, and, uh, they were focused. I mean, they had Luke Plapp, they had Simon Yates and they had Chris Harper, which, you know, are three guys who could in theory have won it, but, you know, seeing Luke Plapp's form, his dominance in the, in the Australian championships, uh, his motivation. I think that was their big leader, uh, you know, bad crash in stage three. So everything changed. Um, you know, that's how cycling goes. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate because Luke Plapp did a big move, you know, but he left Ineos. If I'm not mistaken, he still had a year on his contract and he, he left. To uh, to Jaco to be the leader there, um, and so you know his, his his first big goal was to win Tour Down Under. You're right. I think he probably he would would have probably won it. What were the? Ex I mean, we saw a lot of missing skin uh, from you his crash. crash but what what were the uh, injuries? Do we did we get an update? Looking for looking at the the rest of his season. Was well, no, there's nothing broken. There's nothing okay. broken, but you know, I mean, if you, if you fast like that and oof, you know, even if there's, you know, even if it's just, just superficial, I mean, you know, the, the night, you probably had a, a super bad night, you know, your body reacts, you can get a little fever, you know, they pulled him out of the race. They, he, he actually didn't abandon. He, they pulled him out of the race. Right. So, uh, I think that was, that was a smart decision, tough decision, tough decision to make. Definitely. I, it's, this is like my pet theory that road rash is the most underrated injury in cycling because your body has to regrow skin, which is very hard for it to do. So if you try to fight through, if you crash really hard, like if you pull a roglitch and you're a mummy, you know, you can be okay for a day or two and then you start to just decline and you can put yourself in a deep hole trying to train and race through that. So I, I think it's smart what they did. It's probably early enough in the year he can recover. Um, I, I think this normally could be tough, but we're so early and he has so much time to recover. I hope he's fine. Cause it's, you know, that was like the best I've, I've seen him in years was the last mm -hmm. few weeks. Yeah. And super confident, you know, I mean, we saw a few attacks from him uh, and, and he was, I mean, you know, Narvaez finishes, what, what he finishes second in GC S second in GC. Yeah, and he, he looked black, had him on the ropes uh, in that one stage where he attacked. Um, and so Narvaez, I mean, talking about him, you know, it's, uh, you, you, you asked, you asked, okay, did you, did, why didn't, why, why, why didn't he win any big races yet? You know, I think Narvaez is one of those riders. He is very, um, you know, he, he can, he can do different things. He's fast. You know, he won that, he won that crit yeah. just before the, before the tour down under, uh, he's pretty good uphill as long as it's not real big climbs. And I, this, most importantly, I've seen this guy do things in this, in the Belgian classics, you know, with, with short cobbled uphills that, you know, that guy's strong. Like he, that's in my opinion, that's like his specialty, the, the, the spring classics. Uh, I do remember that last year he had a crash in the, in one of the races, probably Waterham or Harlebeke and he broke his collarbone. So that's probably why we uh, didn't okay, see much okay. of him last year, but the guy is super talented. Um, you know, in the spring we're we're going to see him, we're going to see him uh, up there. He's not afraid to fight for position. I mean, you know, one of those other things, you know, like, you know, the s new things in cycling, you know, who would have thought that, you know, a South American would have been up there, you know, rubbing shoulders with in the, in the spring classics with all these big guys like Van Aert and Van Der Poel. And, uh, he's one of those guys. He's, he's pretty good. He's probably the type of guy too, who 
I, I don't want to be unkind to Ineos, but just goes to Ineos and like gets stuck. You know, not a, not a super talent. Like even someone like Luke Plapp kind of got, it's like, what is he? We don't know what to do with him. He's always kind of stuck behind their GC ambitions. Maybe doesn't get fostered in the way he should in the cobbled classics. But yeah, I, I had no idea he was this fast in the sprints. I mean, he, he looked incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get into talking about this rising star, which we're going to spend some time on, uh, I want to tell you about a couple of our other partners. Uh, we appreciate their support of this show. Uh, taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be, and it should be simple. And for the last couple of years, I've been drinking AG1 every day, as everyone on this team pretty much has. Uh, no exceptions. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. It makes me feel you know, more energized throughout the day. It's just a great little additive. Tastes great. Easy to mix up. Uh, I carry these little packets with me everywhere I go. If I'm traveling, makes it super, super simple. Uh, if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. That's why we've partnered with them for so long. Uh, if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 to get your free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the move. That's drinkag1.com slash the move. Next, I want to tell you about another thing that's part of my daily routine, and that is ketone IQ. Uh, I love the getting my ketones in all the time. And then of course, you know, a lot of those guys, Lance, George, you guys, you guys are all, uh, you know, at some point an elite athlete. So you probably measure a lot of things on what it does for you physically. I will tell you, since I've been taking ketones from, uh, HVMN is it just has helped with mental clarity day in, day out. Not going to lie. I stopped taking Adderall a year ago. I can attribute taking uh, uh, ketone IQ to uh, helping me get through the day the way I used to. With <laughs> It's a much better alternative. And it's just helped me physically, too. I'm sure I'm getting a bunch of physical benefits. And the best way to do it, tackle it, honestly, is to subscribe. I always tell people, get, get like a three-month subscription of it and take it. And I can pretty much guarantee you, you're going to feel better in some capacity, physically, mentally, probably both. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Again, visit hvmn.com slash the move and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. And last but not least, uh, I'd want to tell you about uh, Helix Sleep. Uh, you know, you got to get a good night's sleep. You guys talk about how important the importance of sleep for, for athletes. Of course, that applies to everybody. And uh, how long have you had your mattress? You probably had it way longer than you should have. In fact, when uh, Helix sent us a new mattress, we went in and did the sleep study. They uh, tailor made it for us. And our old mattress wasn't that old. And it was supposed to be the premier brand when we bought it just a couple of years before. Much better sleep on the Helix mattress. A much, much better sleep. So uh, if you've been sleep, not, not sleeping well, been on your old mattress too long, time to make a change. Helix Sleep is offering up to 20% off on all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash the move. And this is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix Sleep, better sleep starts now. All right, now we're going to jump into something that I've just been since stage two, I've been dying to talk about this. I know you guys are excited about this young rider. It's only 20 years old, pulls off the stage win, which uh, Spencer already mentioned, Del Toro uh, from uh, Team UAE. Where do we start with this kid, a freak talent? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, I remember we were last year, the Tour de l'Avenir, uh, we had Matthew Ricatello in the yellow, and it looked like he was going to win to the 11 year. And then, you know, we were, I, I remember on the group chat, people were, Hey, what about this Mexican guy? I said, ah, you know, Matthew has this, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the second, I think the tech, the second last stage, Riccatello and uh, Del Toro go to the finish together. Real mountain stages, by the way, big mountain stages, not nothing like tour down under like real, real mountains. Uh, so, um, Del Toro stays with Riquetello, uh, beats him in the sprint, 
but they come in together. And then the last stage, basically, he um, he he destroyed he destroyed the race and and won the overall, uh, which you know as a Mexican rider is already a sensation in itself. Um, then you go back a little bit. You know, he was racing on a, on a on a Mexican team. It also this 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 team has uh, I think it's called AR AR Monex or something. Uh, they have, they have, uh, they also have some, some like a subsidiary in Italy. So the guy raced a bit in Italy. Um, but, uh, but from there you can see, I mean, this guy's, this guy's the real deal. I mean, if, if you go off what you see in the Tour de la you say the guy's a climber, the guy's a pure climber because the two last stages were for climbers. There were only climbers there and he dominated those two stages. Uh, and then to see that, you know, he, he's the, first of all, he was third in the, in the, the prologue of the, of Tour Down Under in the crit as a climber. That's not bad. Uh, but the way he, he won stage two was, was amazing, amazing because, you know, and, and as, as Spencer said, you know, and it's been a very long time since I've seen a rider, uh, attack in the last kilometer when the Peloton is going full speed with, you know, several sprint trains of teams already going 50, 55 kilometers per hour, a guy who just goes, I mean, and for those who have seen the footage, you know, if you look at the helicopter view, the way he goes was just incredible. I'm uh, glad you brought that up. That helicopter view of, of Del Toro looked like Pogacar to me, the way he sits on the bike, the shoulders <laughs> in, he, he uh, kind of has the handlebars very similar. He's and, taller. And the, he's he's, tall, he's, and, tall, he's, he's quite a bit taller. And the way he swayed the bike, I was just yeah. like, wait, Pogacar's not in this race. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's some similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a new guy, 20 years old, you know, they keep coming. They keep coming. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, to be in your first race, okay, let's, let's say again, you know, it, it is only the Tour Down Under, but this is, for this guy, the biggest race he's ever done, right? I mean, he, and, and at the end of the day, he is racing against World Tour riders, and some of them are top-level World Tour riders. You know, to pull that off, that's, that's already amazing. But then, to stay up there uh, on Wilunga and the last stage, which, you know, two hard stages, not, not climber stages, but you know, I mean, he stayed up there. He, he, he lost his Jersey on stage five, but he was, he only lost five seconds. And then, um, and then yesterday he was, he was third in the stage, uh, again. So, um, I think he basically, he only, he, I think he lost, he probably lost the tour down under because of a lack of experience and probably, you know, not being able to be patient enough. Um, and, and then he probably still would have lost a bit the bonifications or something, but, but still, I mean, to be up there in your first race uh, against the uh, guys who, you know, I mean, for sure, Steve Williams and, uh, and Narvaez have prepared this race full gas. You could say also, you know, a 20 year old has probably also prepared the season full gas because, you know, he's dying to race and, uh, you know, um, but still, I mean, really impressive. And I would like to say one thing, uh, you know, one of our, uh, I spent, uh, I spent a day, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, with, you know, one of our future guests for the move legends. I'm, I'm not going to give away his name, but, uh, he, I could say he's probably one of the three best riders in the history of cycling. Um, and so, uh, he was our guest for the, for one of the episodes. And, uh, after the podcast, we had lunch and he told me, he started to talk about this Isaac del Toro. He said, look at this guy, you know, because the Tour de l'Avenir, I was there last year and I saw him and this guy is special. And one week later, he, uh, he wins his first race in, in his first race in the, in the, in the world tour. So yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I, 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 I remembered his words when, when I saw his victory. Well, what I, yeah. And what I like about Del Toro is, yeah, JB, you're right. He kind of has this, it's unorthodox lean. Like it's not how you would teach it, but works for Pogacar. The bike's moving all over the place. He just seems like an uncut gem almost. Like the guy, you know, there's young riders like um, Uta Brooks who just everything is perfectly planned out. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's dialed in. Del Toro seems like someone who's who's like still has room to improve 
And when we go back to that stage two performance, I just want to put this into context. So context, Luke Plapp attacks with like, let's say seven, eight K to go, goes with Nervias, Nervias for some reason attacks him. I'm not quite sure why you would attack someone who's working with you when you're off the front, but they can't, they can't get away from the Peloton. It's that fast. Then Quinn Simmons attacks with another rider. Quinn Simmons, pretty, pretty good rider. You would say like very, a lot of raw power coming off that guy. And he's dangling out in front of the Peloton as they come into the last K. Del Toro goes, and he goes so hard that it looked like Quinn Simmons was stuck in mud when he came by him. Like, he went by them so fast and made that move look like, oh, like, that's a cute little move. And you would say that's, like, normally one of the strongest moves in the race. Like, Quinn Simmons was one of the rider just, like, digging deep off the front. And he, it was unbelievable how fast he went through that final kilometer. Um, kind of comes over casually. There's a sprint finish happening behind him with like a pretty clean lead out from Israel Premier Tech, who, as Johan said, was targeting this race and just kind of like nonchalantly wins the stage. It was really impressive. Stage five, I mean, I don't, you're right. He probably lost this race because of inexperience. I, I don't quite, I don't want to like rake UAU over the coals because this is tour down under, but that was a, it was a sloppy lead into the climb. Like they had riders. All throughout the peloton, they had one guy in front of Del Toro. Finn Fisher Black was behind Del Toro. He probably should have been in front of him, um, helping him, you know, not be in the wind. I don't quite understand what happened there. And then Del Toro kind of got pushed pretty far back right when the climb started. He had to work his way back up. You could say that maybe contributed to him being tailed off on, you know, the final sprint of Wolonga. It probably loses it anyway due to bonification, though, because Williams is just such a fast sprinter. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add something about Del Toro because I think this came up on on just our team meeting uh, this past week. Uh, you may recall Spencer, but it, uh, he's from Ensenada, which is not far from the U.S. border. Because quite often you're like, why are there not more Mexican riders that are at a high high level? Uh, but maybe he was coming into the U.S. and racing quite often. It may have been very convenient. Do you know more about that? I I don't think so, uh, JB. Sorry, sorry, Spencer, if you had some, but what I would say is, you know, he was part of this Mexican uh, under 23 team, um, which, you know, since last year, I've started to follow them a little bit. And these guys are doing a great job uh, for the young riders. I saw their, you know, testing facilities and they, they have a women's team also. Um, I think, I think he owes everything to that team. Um, as you said before, uh, Spencer, uh, the Mexican Federation is probably suspended or something or. Yeah. Like I don't, don't have a license so to operate or something. It definitely doesn't come from the grassroots program in Mexico. Uh, and I think that's probably why we don't see more Mexican riders. I mean, we have to think back to, uh, Raul Alcala, uh, in the, in the early nineties to have, you know, like the a top level Mexican rider, you know, Al- Alcala was probably, you know, he's super talented. He was super talented. He was probably talented enough to win the Tour de France, this rider, uh, Alcala, probably maybe, maybe not professional enough in the beginning. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there must be something there that doesn't work in, in Mexico because, you know, it's a huge country. Uh, they have good terrain, good weather, they have bike races. Uh, so, uh, I think, I think his, his, uh, development is purely due to this Mexican team, uh, who are doing an amazing job actually. Yeah. And I think he's from Ensenada, which I heard has good riding. So probably good riding locally, um, a great climate, you know, it's, it's not very far from San Diego. And then as Johan said, I mean, this team, I'm looking at his results now from the last few years, raced a lot in Europe. I mean, that's the key. Getting those guys to Italy is like a, the best move they ever made. You know, I think people don't want to hear it, but that's the best way to develop as a young rider, to get to Europe as young as as young as you can and race as much as you can over there. And then it's really just a test of can you, um, you know, can you acclimate to the culture and be comfortable there? I mean, we, this is a this is a different podcast, but yeah, Mexico, like, I don't understand why their soccer team isn't better. Everyone plays soccer. I believe it's the largest Spanish speaking country in the world, unless I'm missing something. And, you know, they're just like Argentina fraction of the population is, is much better. So there's some inefficiency in the youth sports development complex down there. Yeah. The the name of the team, by the way, is AR Monex pro cycling team for people who want to look it up. 
So what what does the season look like for a writer like this? I mean, he's got to get the experience. I mean, he's new. He's mm-hmm. on. It, will he be supporting Pogachar, or is he just kind of kind of move around and get experience this year? No, for sure not. For sure not a not a grand tour. I would I would I would I mean maybe maybe the Vuelta at the end of the season, but that's you know. I, I don't think so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him in a, in a grand tour yet. Uh, although, you know, what the hell do I know? I mean, the new, new <laughs> young riders nowadays, it's a different game, you know? Um, but, but I think he's going to do some, you know, like some races, like, you know, secondary races, and then probably once in a while, uh, a world tour race, but without any pressure. Um, I would, I, I would do that. I mean, for him riding with Pogacar on, on one of those races would not be bad. So you have a taste of, what it is to be with a, you know, the top, like the, the best rider in the world. And, and you know what it is to, uh, because the team functions completely different. Uh, even if it's the same UAE team, you know, the, the, the way UAE team rode in, in Tour Down Under and, and the, the way, the way UAE team will ride when they're in the races with Pogacar is a completely different, different way of racing. So I would let him do one of those races. I mean, he, for sure, he can do a good job. Um, but I think they're, you know, at this point, they probably don't know what his limit is, you know, and they want to, they, they want to just expose him to different experiences, you know, maybe, maybe a race in the spring classics. So who knows, you know, why not? Uh, I think he still, he still has to find out where his strengths are. We already know he can climb and we already know he can sprint. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, know what, you know what race would be perfect for him and what Pogacar did in his same 20 year old season was tour California. Like it's a shame that's not around anymore, but that's Pogacar right. wins that. Then, as you say, Johan, he goes to the Vuelta at the very end of the year and gets third at the Vuelta, and then it's off to the races from there. But, yeah, I mean, they're really this year, I, I hope they don't push him too hard. They probably won't. But. They won't. They won't. I mean, they have a lot of riders, uh, you know. Plus, plus, I mean, I've seen, I mean, uh, what's what's interesting, you know, nowadays in cycling, Spencer, is that, you know, all these teams who have a development team, uh, are actually able to use some of those riders in secondary races. For example, there's 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 a guy who was last year on my son's team here in Madrid. He's now 18, uh, and he he was the best junior in Spain. He won the national the night the nations cup here, uh, and he signed for this uh, uh, Gen Z UAE team, which is you know their development team. Uh, but he already raced yesterday with the professionals in, in Valencia. Uh, so they can, they can switch them, you know, they can bring them over from the development team and put them in races. And then they go back to the, to the young team. Well, so he, he raced as UAE. The, the, team UAE the, the team UAE's Gen Z. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's like a subsidiary they have, mm-hmm. but they can use those riders in the non-world tour races now and mm-hmm. then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering how this works. So as long as it's not yeah. world tour, they can. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And I mean, the thing about Del Toro, he's lucky he's Mexican because if he was American, the dreaded, the dreaded headline would be out by now. Is he the next Lance Armstrong? As soon as that is written about you as an American writer. But, but, but it's the same for Del Toro. It's it's for sure. It's, is this the next Raul Alcala? You know, the pressure in Mexico is going to be huge. Also, the thing is, you know, there's probably, I mean, the, the cycling culture in, in Mexico is probably not, not that big. So, uh, it's, it's, but you know, the guy's already going to be, he's already, he's already going to be a hero in Mexico for sure. Last year already after winning the tour de l'Avenir, he was already a hero. Hmm. All right. Any other things? I know you should see the notes that Spencer sends over from the tour down under it's mind boggling. I just, I don't want to cut you off. If there's <laughs> anything else that you wanted to touch on before we, uh, I know we want to talk uh, uh, about yeah. the cross racing that's been going on. We'll hold on to that for a second. If there, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. If there's anything else, I am now getting our pre-show and our show confused. <laughs> but I, we should say like Johan touched on it. Israel specifically trained for this race. It's smart because they want to be back in the world tour when the books open back up and it's at the end of the 2025 season. Like this race might not matter, you know, as you know as much because of the timing and, and whatnot. It's a far flung race, but it's still world tour UCI points on offer. So it's a very smart decision. If you're a team like Israel to do that. Um, I just wanted to call that out that that's like a very smart thing for them to do. You should be, if you want UCI points, you should be stacking them up 
this time of year totally makes sense what they did. And, and also, Spencer, another, another thing, another thing to add is that, you know, even smarter knowing that your competitor to be back in the world to a lot of destiny decided to not go to this yep. race. Yep. So, I you think, know, yeah, I think you, and maybe it was in your notes, but you made a comparison as far as UCI points tour down under is equivalent to what it's, you might be surprised. Dauphine, right. Dauphine right. That's a big, a right. huge race. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Dauphine so. now, it's not the Dauphine Libre anymore. The Dauphine. <laughs> Dauphine Libre is the name of the newspaper that used to organize it. And then did you want to get this? I don't want to get us too into the weeds, but, but Johan has some thoughts on what the situation that Israel premier tech is in yeah. is yeah. very unique. And yeah, I, I, think, I had not heard anyone talk about this yet. No, yeah. I thought it was unique this, too. This is, this is probably also one of the reasons why they have gone so hard for two down under, uh, because the month of February in cycling, uh, is, is very special. You know, there's no world tour races. Uh, so organizers are basically in a great position because all the teams want to race, all the teams want to race, and there's just not enough races. And so uh the organizers are not obligated to take any of the teams. They can choose, they can pick and choose. So because of the horrible things that are going on in the world, uh some of the organizers have decided to not invite the team Israel Premier Tech. Mm. Uh, they have basically no invitations until the end of February. So this is another reason, I mean, that they focused so much on, on, I mean, given, you know, there's, there's less points in, in the other races in February, but, um, this is definitely one, another reason why they focused so hard on, uh, on two down under. So they have automatic invites to a world tour race. They're yes, because they were second, they were second in the world tour and, the in the, the world teams classification is the second division um, last year. So first and second position have automatic invites to the world tour races. Mm. It's like an odd, it's an irony where you're not world tour. You can go to world tour races, but then you can have a hard time getting invited to non-world tour races, which is really the way you rack up points to get back into the world tour. Yeah. So it's a tough mm. situation they're in. I mean, it, which, which shines light on why they were so, so focused on this race. You know, and, and, you know, a team that starts a season off like from the gun really well, it sets the tone for, you know, the atmosphere. Once you start, once you have that first win and you can, you can, you can be racing well as a team and, you know, just keep chasing that first win and it doesn't come and every becomes desperate, you know, it brings a lot of tranquility to the team having, having the, those first wins and say, okay, you know what? the pressure's off, you know, let's, let's just keep doing what we're doing. But because once you start to get desperate for that first win, you start to make mistakes because you're racing too nervously. And, and this is obviously a benefit of, of having such a great start of the season for Israel premier tech. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. I know we want to touch on the cross season. There's one more going. thing. There's one ah, more thing I would like to talk about. about. Yeah. Uh, something that probably it doesn't, it, it doesn't make a lot of noise, but you know, if you look at this picture here behind me, you have Stevie Williams, who is winning the last stage in the leader's Jersey. And then you have this rider there from Jim, uh, from Visma Lisa bike, uh, Bart lemon, probably a guy that nobody ever heard of 28 years old. Uh, and I, you know, I want to specifically spend a bit of time on him because uh, I think it's a very unique story. You know, we have this, you know, this trend of all these young talents coming up, but here we have a different story. You know, this guy was last year, he was on human powered health, uh, in season 2023. And it was his first year as a full-time professional. The guy was until last year, he was a colonel in the Royal Dutch air force. Hmm. And so 2022, he was racing on a small Dutch team. He was combining cycling with his full-time job last year, started to be a full-time pro. Um, I checked his results. They're not impressive, but obviously the performance staff of the, the team Visma has seen something in this guy. And, uh, you know, to be up there in your first big race, without too much experience in, in, in racing, actually, uh, tells me that this guy has a, has a big potential. I think it's a unique story, you know, so coming so late to the scene, 
um, at, at 28 years old uh, and, and be up there. He was fourth and fifth in the two hardest stages, uh, which was, you know, I, said, I was looking, I said, who's this? You know, I mean, never, and then I checked his name and checked his story. I think it's, it's the, the, these guys have looked for something and they've seen something in his power or whatever. I don't know what it is that, you know, made them, made the decision to sign him. And they, uh, they were right. I mean, he's up there with the big guys. So chapeau. It's kind of reminds me when we talked a lot about Roglic, when he came on form, we, we kept going, have we seen the best yet? Because they uh -huh. came to the sport late. This could be very similar. Yeah. And Jay, I'm glad you mentioned that JB. It highlights the irony of the sport where these guys should be being discovered by small teams who can't afford big stars, but they're being discovered by the best team in the sport who has the, you know, the know-how and the resources to identify them. It's just the way they think, allows them to think, oh, is this pilot, maybe this 27-year-old pilot, maybe a guy we need to sign? Most teams wouldn't think that. That would not be a normal train of thought you would have at a pro team. But it's allowing them to scoop up these really good talents that other people aren't seeing. But you know, if you're Astana, you should have signed Bart Lemon because that's the type of rider you need to like start generating results for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, if you're so successful that as, as uh Jumbo Visma last year, Visma Lisa bike this year, uh, you can also take the liberty to say, yeah. okay, let's yeah. just do it. And you know, if it doesn't work out, no big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if you know, he's powerful and if you know, he has power, you could at least, as you said, use him in the first hundred K. Yeah, but you know, I mean, there there are certain uh, decisions being made. I mean, we talked about it in the pre-show, uh, Spencer. You know, they signed another rider, Julien Vermote, who's already a very experienced rider, uh, has been on different teams. He's been on Quickstep in the past. He's been on Kofidis. He's been on Alpecin, and then didn't find a team last year. Sat out the whole year. He was he was racing in Belgium uh, individually with a private sponsor, just only small races, and. Uh, and this year he was looking for a team. He send it, send out his, you know, his resume to different teams. And surprisingly, Visma signed him. Visma signed him for one specific reason. They said, okay, this is a guy that we can use for the first 100, 120 kilometers in the race to do a specific job. You know, this is, this is, this is like a, a, a money ball type of signing. Mm. You know, this is something that we need specifically for this job. And, and so cycling has changed in that, in that point of view also that, you know, they're starting to really look for riders for very specific tasks. And, and I'm pretty sure that Vermota is going to do a great job at that. Yeah. And it's funny. You say he was racing these small races. People must be thinking, oh, this guy was dominating. He must've won everything. Now, if you go to his pro cycling stats page, it's all these national level races, which are the lowest level pro race you can be. He won one of them last year. So mm -hmm. Visma is really like going through this with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. And as you say, it is money ball thinking that other teams should be thinking this way of like, can this guy perform a specific job for us? And not just, does he win? Does he not win? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting thought. Someone who works for the first half of a race and then you don't see him perhaps. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I know you guys wanted to touch on the cross season. I have not been as uh, glued to it as I was last year. Cause it's been from what I understand, it's just been the Vanderpool show all season. Right. And then Spencer, I think you said uh, uh, before the show, this last cross race th this weekend was one of the wet best you've seen. Yeah, the irony of this is everything we just talked about. We just talked for an hour about a, a race, the World Tour kickoff race. The irony is the best riders in the world are racing on a different continent on, on a different day, doing a different type of race. And that was today's uh, Cyclocross World Cup in, in Spain, which is like really Benidorm, Benidorm yeah. which, you know, it's not it's not a real cyclocross race. It's, you know, it's hot. It's dry. Uh, you know, it's super fast. It was spectacular. Uh, and on top of that, it is right in the middle of where all the teams are having their training camps. Yeah, I mean, Van der, yeah. Poel, Van der Poel actually lives there now. I mean, he lives in a little town. Actually, where I, the same little town where I used to live when I was a pro, uh, he bought a house there. Um, Van Aert was there on training camp. Uh, so uh, Pitcock was was probably there also on training camp. So, um yeah, I mean, it it, it was it yeah it was the, the 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 most interesting cyclocross we've seen so far because you know Van der Poel was 
first of all, he was in the back because of a bad start or something. He happened in the start. And then we have Van Aert, who was on an amazing level compared to all the other cyclocross races he's done. Um, so it was, yeah. And, and finally, you know, for, for our listeners or our viewers, uh, Walt Van Aert took the victory. So first time in 11 races that Mathieu van der Poel didn't win. His he dad, crashed. by the way, his dad, by, his dad, by the way, I spoke to, I, I was spent some time with him at the, uh, at the cyclocross in Belgium in Havre. And, and he said, you know, he's, he's, he's very strong. He says without any incident or sickness or bad luck, I see him capable of winning all 14 races. Mm. It's not going to win all 14, but today, you know, he crashed. So, uh, he was super oh. strong. I'll, I'll add to this just because I'm such a car fanatic Sh showing up to your race in a Lamborghini. That's so pimp. <laughs> <laughs> Vanderpool. I, I he agree. has a sponsorship, I think with Lambo yeah, and he, does, he, he, roll, does. he rolls he up to races in his own yeah. car. And like it, that's yeah, I, so badass. You know, when we went, when we went to Belgium to the race, my son, his biggest his his goal was not, not pictures with the rider. He had those last year, last year he had his picture taken in Vanderpool with Van Aert and Pitcock. So he had that already check. His goal was have a picture next to Van der Poel's Lamborghini. <laughs> since, since that day, he came with a golden Lamborghini. He had, he had his picture taken. So that was wow. really cool. That's very cool. What's unique about this cross race is it's, they, they basically do it right where the training camps are so they can get the best riders. They make it convenient for them. This will, this was the world championships, you know, not, not technically, not on paper, but we won't see these guys racing together again for the rest of the year. I think Vanderpool's mm -hmm. finishing off the season. He's probably going to win Worlds, but I, I think Van Aert's done, and I don't think we'll see Pitcock. Either they're focusing on the road. So this was yeah. really our only chance to see these guys pumping at full strength yeah. against each other. Yeah, but you know, it's you could say okay. I I kind of not. I don't agree completely with that, Spencer. Not it's not the World Championships because the course is not. As, as, but wasn't as, the Worlds just like this last year? Uh, two years. That, it was like two that years fast two course years two years ago. Yeah. 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 But this was, I mean, today's course, this, this, this course in Benidorm Spencer, I mean, I was so impressed. I mean, these guys go so fast that they kind of fly out of the corners. They, 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 they are pushed out of the corners because of the speed. I mean, this is not cyclocross. I mean, it's, I mean, first of all, they have too much power. I mean, if you see those attacks on those uphill drags, it, it's, it was crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's, it, it was probably the only time we saw the three of them at their full power against each other. Uh, but the course didn't really, uh, you know, give enough, uh, to, you know, it was, it was tactical. It was fast. You know, it was not a real cyclocross, uh, <laughs> best guy won the best guy won the best guy won. So, well, uh, you know, not to detract anything from Vanderpool, he, he for this incredible cross season, but is it safe to say that Pidcock and Van Art had different objectives for this season for compared sure. to years past? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Van Art has straight away said he doesn't do the worlds. He wants to, you know, compromise his, you know, like on a, put it on a low level, his cross season, because he really wants to do something different and focus completely. His two big goals is Flanders and Roubaix, you know, and, and I think that's ultimately what Van Art is, you know, he's already has such a palmares that, you know, he will be applauded or criticized for having won one of both or never having one. You know, if in Belgium, for example, they're going to say, oh, Van Art, great. But you know what? He's not that good because he didn't win Flanders or Roubaix. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's unfortunately, that's the pressure this guy has to deal wow. with. You know, When he yeah. has to win like three or four of them, you know, because if he wins one, if he wins each one time, like, yeah, you know, you know, that's not as good as Tom Boone. <laughs> I don't know if he's that good, but the, the irony of this whole, I got to keep, stop saying, I got to stop saying irony. I've used it 15 <laughs> times already in this podcast, but last year, Van Art came in so hot to the cyclocross season, won everything, faded. Around this time last year, I kind of wonder if we're seeing the same thing with Vanderpool. He was unbelievable through the first, you know, as you say, 10, 11 races. And then are we seeing, I mean, I actually, it's unclear to me who could even beat him if Pitcock and Van Aert aren't racing. So maybe he'll win out anyway. Yeah, he will win the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. For, there's, there's no point. Well, you know, today Van Turnout was was up there, but it's it's not the standard of a cyclocross. You know, for, we're going to go back to the real cyclocross races. The World Championships may be completely different. It's in Czech, in Czech Republic. It, it could be in the snow, or at least it will be frozen. 
which is you know different than today. On the today is basically a, a criterion on the in the dust. You know the the the, the cyclocross. And I mean, if you would look at the speeds, it's I haven't seen the average speed, but it was crazy how fast they were going. It's probably why they both Vanderpool and Van Art crashed, probably because they're going so fast through those corners. Yeah. Did you hear the story about the guy who got second? How, how did you say his name? I've, I'm in no way, in no world, could I say this man's name? Just Michael at Van Turnout. So he flew. I guess he flew in. He no, he raced yesterday. He, yeah, he raced yesterday. Belgium. He won yesterday in Belgium. Then he flew at six a.m. So he must have gotten up at like four in the morning and then got second. Almost won because he almost caught Van Art after he mm. crashed at the very end. So. I guess he would be the only challenger, the only realistic challenger to Van, Vanderpool the rest of the year. Well, yeah, yeah. This, this, no, he's not going to challenge him in, in, a, in a hard cyclocross, no. No, I'm not worried until about Van Vanderpool. sleeps until 8, 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. I'm not worried about Vanderpool. He looked strong. That Today was just a course where you couldn't make the difference. You know, the speed were too high. I mean, if you see how close everybody else was also, you know, you have, and then you have a guy like, for example, uh, this, this, the French champion, Clément Venturini, who is nowhere in the real cyclocross races. He was up there until half a lap to go. So. <laughs> this is the most Belgian opinion ever. <laughs> Not a real cyclocross <laughs> race because there wasn't five inches of mud on the course. <laughs> hey, great show, it. guys. Thank you, Johan and Spencer. Uh, only you two could spend an hour on the Tour Down Under and make it entertaining. <laughs> and I got to commend you guys for, for saying Visma Lisa bike and not Visma Lisa bike. bike. It's going to take a while, but it is. Yeah. yeah. But impressive. Yeah. We'll, uh, well, we'll be back together with, with the whole crew, Lance and George as well, for our up and comer show. This has become a very, very popular show. Uh, Johan gives us his up and comer picks, the names to look for in the future and has been so spot on with that. It, it made for a much more entertaining season for me personally last year, watching for these names after Johan identified them. So that'll be our next get together. Uh, and the UAE tour is right around the corner. So Johan Spencer, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for having me.